Join us as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. Joining me now is Max Wood from Galaxy of Film Podcast. <laughs> hey, everyone. Yep, it's, it's me. <laughs> it's him. All righty. So we are diving into Australian actress Margot Robbie's filmography. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind of waited a while. I didn't want to just jump on just someone who has like just two well-known movies to date. Um yeah, no, she's she's on it. She's just kind of doing a lot of activism, producing a lot of projects here and there. It's it's insane. <laughs> she is producing quite a bit. Um, I had no clue she was in, into producing until I watched Promising Young Woman a couple weeks ago and saw her name in the opening credits. Nice. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I like Mark Raleigh a lot, man, to be honest. I, yeah, I we'll get more into it, obviously, but... Um, yeah, for sure. If you would have asked me probably like a month ago, like who my favorite actress was, you know, I'd struggle, you know, just picking any top name of either actress or actor. actor. Um, but Margot Robbie is definitely the top one. I, I can't think of a bad role she's been in personally. Right. Uh, she's doing a lot of cameos like in Slaughterhouse Rules and The Big Short. It's just wild <laughs> just seeing her do that so early in her career. Everyone else kind of takes a while. Mm-hmm. Um uh yeah overall i mean i really don't think she can go wrong at this point she kind of struggled at first because she's just kind of in so many like it or hate it uh movies and shows and then it just kind of got kind of more consistent into doing some dark comedies and unusual kind of uh atypical biographies if for lack of a better word um I um I actually I haven't seen her in any TV shows. I don't think off the top of my head. No, it's all good. She was on that Aussie show Neighbors to you know to get started out. But I remember she was oh. on this ABC show called Pan Am, which was talking about stewardesses in the sixties. <laughs> okay, that sounds interesting. I might check that out. It's on ABC. Uh, yeah, I think it might be on Hulu somewhere. I'm not sure. I mean, Dude, there's a good bit of her stuff on on Hulu. I watched, um, to prepare for this podcast, when you invited me a couple weeks ago, I wanted to go ahead and watch some of the, the titles of her. I never got around to seeing. And Hulu was the place for Margot Robbie. Odd enough. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they were struggling when they first came out. And then it's like they basically just realized, okay, we can't keep removing stuff. You know, we got to just make it last a year before we take it down, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that bugs me with other streaming services like... Uh, when they started kind of big bad about it oh yeah when they were starting out 
like they would have so many free movies and then it was like well these movies are such a waste of time i might as well have paid for it you know it just and they they just strengthened their contacts with universal fox and disney and lionsgate to where they just were allowing for just more just variety more independent companies as well as just you know more a, a better mixture of you know current shows more recent mm-hmm. shows that especially with fox and abc i mean like um up until very recently when we signed up for the amc app like every thursday night or friday morning my girlfriend would watch Grey's anatomy right away on her, <laughs> say upload a new episode every week there um, you go i was doing that with simpsons for a while big simpsons nice um i think this was a family guy if i'm not mistaken I think they still got it up there. They got a bunch of other stuff that, you know, doesn't extend to the Disney license. And you're like, yeah, you know, this is where you go in and watch it the next day. If you're not going to watch it on the main site. Um, Looks out. Nice. (laughs) It's all up there. Um, So I guess with her resume, what would you say kind of just stands out about it more, you know, is like she that kind of separates her from some of the other big, you know, Oscar bait kind of looking movies. Do you think the stories just they're just easygoing crowd pleasers and then they're very well characterized? Um, I mean, if you're going based off her, just looking at all of her filmography, like if you were to write down all the movie titles on a piece of paper and look at it, what stands out the most? Um. I'd have to go ahead and say her odd enough her DC entries, you know, Suicide Squad, Birds of Prey, and the other right. So many people were easy to just kind of throw it off. It's like you know, there's still some good performances, especially by her. I can't think of anyone else who could pull off such a tricky role. You know, you're a villain turned antihero slash vigilante. <laughs> yeah, with um, it, what I mean by that though is you know, Marvel has a ton of big name actors like solid triple a actors that come to their franchise yeah robert downey or they'll make it their whole career like rdj or chris evans Mm -hmm. i'm not saying they're they're not really good actors outside of the mcu but they'll make it like their most known property but then you get other good triple a actors like uh, like michael rooker kurt russell and they won't stick absolutely and so look at dc that also has some great you know, triple A actors as well, they kind of just waste their potential. And I feel like Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn is the only one that's that shines out in that entire franchise. Um, yeah, I mean, they instantly gave her her own spinoff and then, you know, settled her up for the rebooted sequel. And it's like, okay, cool. Because, I mean, I kind of see this ironically with Robert Downey as a contrast where. Uh, I'll see him just kind of come out of a car and everything. It's like, yeah, he's Tony Stark. It's a different movie, but he just has the Tony Stark look now. Yeah. And and I kind of got that with her when my sister and I saw I, Tonya in theaters. It was just like when she's hitting someone with a bat and kind of gives a, you know, angry glance to the camera. It's like, yeah, you're in Harley Quinn mode. <laughs> a little bit, I suppose. Um, I'll get to that in a second, man. But like, like I said, she's the only the actress in that that series of films that ECU that stands out for me. Like, I like Ben Affleck, don't get me wrong. I think he's a great actor. Um, Henry Cavill's all right. But Margot Robbie, as you know, they treated her so badly on, on the su- on Suicide Squad, uh, the David Ayer 2016 film, um, seeing her in some like Birds of Prey, which was like 
number two top five. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Hello. Sorry. Uh, I, 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 my my Wi-Fi broke up there for a bit. I don't know why. Um. Uh. Uh. uh why she was treated so bad on the set, and then I didn't hear the last part. So with like Birds of Prey, you can really tell a difference on screen, like how comfortable she is in the room. Because that's what that's going on. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 she, she did kind of get to where I think everyone, there was just too many cooks in the kitchen on the first round, but she had the persona down. So then it was just like, okay, well, whatever it is, you know, just. Yeah, she would have had the persona down. Don't get me wrong with that. Um, like that trailer, man, where I, I remember, I think it's like three fourths away in the movie where, um, where Harley like breaks a window with her bat to grab like a necklace or something. Yeah. There's, it and then like she she bends down to grab it and uh, the camera is directly behind her <laughs> yes here's the final version of the movie. uh there's a lot of stuff in the trailer that wasn't in the final cut of the movie <laughs> oh um yeah in that final final cut of the movie you can david air cgi'd her shorts to be much shorter than they actually were um i know you remember the the scene where harley has to change clothes in front of like 30 people as well yeah, and she's doing the whole why. <laughs> yeah, that, and then just the constant harassment from Jared Leto. Um, I'm, I'm not even gonna start on Jared Leto. Jesus Christ, man. Um, yeah. On my podcast, we we go off on that dude so much. <laughs> uh, I can't blame you. We got plenty of our least favorite actors who are just like, uh, why are they, you know, yeah. still getting work even though they're so unprofessional? Um, Margot just starts out kind of interesting. I mean, she's in this 2008. A movie called Vigilante in a brief part. Then she's in a serial killer movie, and then it's the British film About Time, which was a pretty easygoing crowd pleaser. Mm -hmm. And I think where I fell in love with her, I mean, 2015 was a huge year for her because she's like starring just so much that year. Uh, probably the movie Focus. Yeah, I actually, I um, it's funny you mentioned that. I just rewatched that today for the oh, first nice. years. <laughs> It's kind of a tricky movie, just a noir, because some stuff is just on the wall, and other stuff is like, wow, okay, that was pretty ballsy. Yeah, a little bit, especially when you get like that halfway mark whenever they um they leave New Orleans. Right. I mean, Will Smith is essentially Danny Ocean, and <laughs> she's essentially kind of a tribute to the femme fatale in a lot of those noir movies from the 60s to today, and then... She realizes that she just has no prediction for how much she's kind of emotionally attached to this con man. <laughs> she know, but she kind of commands your respect, I guess, because it's like you're. She's not an idiot. She knows what she's in for, and at the same time, you know, she's still, you know, shit's hitting the fan, and you know, no heist is ever straightforward. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. I'll, I'll let you take it away on that one. It. Oh, I don't. I don't really have much to say about focus. Um, this was what year did it come out again? Was it 2013? Uh, to, to, to 2015. Yeah, 2015. I was just out of college, and I was like, "Wow, this is an unusual movie." <laughs> yeah, we. I remember renting that from a Redbox. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, like my Blockbuster didn't shut down for like 2014, 
So 2015 is when I got finally caved in serving in Redbox. And I remember renting this, and I don't think I ever finished it till today when I finally had a chance to rewatch it. Um, you can pretty much say everything about it. You know, it's a heist film. She, you know, falls in love, and there's this whole big thing with Will Smith going on. Um, visually, it's a great movie. Don't get me wrong. I watched it for Kid and it looked phenomenal. Um, but yeah, there, there's not too much special focus. I think out of all the Marco Robbie stuff I have watched, this isn't the worst. I don't like I said. I don't think she's had a bad. Yeah, that same year she was in the love triangle post-apocalyptic movie Z for Zachariah. I did not see that. I felt like she had good chemistry with Chiwato Idodafar and Chris Pine, who are also, you know, part of superhero movies and mm-hmm. as big sci-fi and mystery and award-winning franchises. Yeah. I was kind of disappointed because, like, the trailer just kind of had just it made use of the tension and just looked like it was building up to just so much more. Mm. And then I saw it and I was like, it was interesting. I like a lot of other stuff that this filmmaker has done. I mean, he's worked on Westworld and American gods for God's sakes, but I don't know. I'm just not really feeling it like other people. I just feel like it could have used a little more oomph, a little more excitement and plot twists. <laughs> okay. I've heard great things about uh, Westworld. So, I mean, that, that definitely says something right there that it's. Yeah, I, he's, that. yeah, he was good at getting, you know, the shots and the acting, but the frills weren't really there. So, gotcha. I, mean, I, I but a lot of the critics were kind of like it or hated on this one, too. And but they they all all agreed that Margot just had an unusual quality that made there be a little more charisma in this otherwise very, you know, depressing movie, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> And she has a brief role in this British-Belgian uh, World War II film called Sweet Frances. And okay. I, again, I, this is where I definitely thought she was going to be typecast as the third will in a lot of these movies, even if they weren't romantic-related. It was like, But it was well shot, but I, I didn't really remember much about it. It was kind of an art house movie. Um, okay. Now, for this, just in time... Uh, yesterday, I did watch Whisco, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Uh, did you see this one at all? Or... That was one that was on my list for this past week to go ahead and watch, and I just did not get a chance. Yeah, it, it's another one. It's a like it or hate it. Um, if you like Tina Fey, you'll probably like it. Okay. If you, if you don't like Tina Fey I wouldn't, or war movies, you definitely don't want to mess with it. But uh, it, it was interesting because it kind of reminded me of some similar films around the same time, like uh, Our Brand is Crisis, which coincidentally, this also has Billy Bob Thornton in it. Um, uh, even that Rock the Cash Bow movie that came out that With around the same time. Yeah, that kind of got ignored. It's just kind of a war satire film, you know, based on I, action. Um, that movie got a lot of hate, and I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it was the same way. I was just like, this is harmless. I mean, like, mm. they were claiming it was unwatchable and everything. I'm like, not seeing the unwatchable part i mean there's some recurring gags and other comedic supporting characters and yeah this one margo definitely steals every scene she's in and you know she uses her native tongue where she's playing a war correspondent you know who again just kind of uh plays for bad against faye getting this to report the story versus her and Mm -hmm. and she really i think 
you can kind of tell that Tina got to know all the cast members, you know, like Alfred Molina and Martin Freeman and definitely Margo and just pretty much wrote for them. <laughs> and yeah, uh, she's retained with her focus directors, Glenn Facara and John Raquo. But I think, you know, while focus was kind of more about the frills versus the character development, this is pretty much all about the characters just playing off each other and just kind of like I, Tanya, it just really embraces the comedic side and just goes full blown and, there's going to be some moments where it's like, yeah, you could have tied it up a little bit there, you know, for a more mainstream audience, but it's, it's not going to offend most people. I don't think, I think it's just going to be like, yeah, that was cute. That was fun. You know, <laughs> that sounds interesting. I want to check that out now that you brought it up. Yeah. I think you can give it a rent on a lot of the streaming platforms. Uh, so I guess that leads us to uh, her first kind of like it or hate it kind of troubled movie. Uh, the legend of Tarzan. See, okay. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, um, I went on a date in high school with that. <laughs> okay. oh. I think I lost you there. You still there? Uh, okay, shit. I don't, why are we breaking up today? Shit. Uh, now I can hear you. Uh, so, so you were on a date and... <laughs> I took my high school girlfriend see this movie and this is one of the only movies i've ever fucked up <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was definitely troublesome i mean i was even texting to some of my friends you know while while i was on the clock and it's just like what the hell is going on with this movie you know <laughs> and, yeah, dude, and and like suicide squad i mean you heard how there was some behind the scenes drama the studio took over from the director who had done like a lot of harry potter films and and I saw. I know she got saddled with like some Razzies or something, but honestly, I think she's kind of a trooper in this one, especially when she gets like the worst written character out of the whole movie. You know, yeah, this is one I will probably never rewatch. Matter of fact, I, dude, I I forgot she was in this. <laughs> yeah, even Sam Jackson, I forget, and he gets the best part where he's in a total Congo moment where he's just like flat out just using a Gatling gun and taking down Christoph Waltz men. Mm-hmm. Definitely the worst performance is probably Christoph Waltz. It's like, he's usually hammy and having a lot of fun in a lot of movies ever since Tarantino put him on the map. And yet yeah. with this one is like, he can't, he can never even commit to an accent, let alone just kind of even becoming one with the character. And I mean, I loved, I liked Alexander Skarsgård in a lot of other movies and shows like Generation Kill and uh, just a bunch of other psycho thrillers. Uh, he was in that. Uh, uh, what else was he in? Uh, I mean, he was in Godzilla vs. Kong, but he was also in. Uh, uh, I mean, for God's sakes, uh, Kill Your Darlings, Zoolander, the Straw Dogs remake, and even other tricky movies like war on everyone and yeah. uh he was in a really emotional movie called disconnect which was talking about you know how the internet can destroy your life if you let it and uh you know if you watched him in this one you would instantly th- think who is this guy i never heard of him is he related to stone scars he's flat you know you, you wouldn't know because he's just like they give him literally nothing to do as the title character, you know, Tarzan. <laughs> it's just like, what, what, what the hell was the screenplay on this? It's just like, <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta be honest with you, man. I do not like Alexander uh, Skarsgård at all. <laughs> no, I, I can't blame you. I mean, 
he's been in a lot of stinkers and this one is definitely one of them and mm-hmm. there's just and I don't know. I, I would have probably, I don't know, had at least a lot of just walking around, just talking like Tarzan and just smiling. That would have, the charisma would have made such a difference. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, yes, I I, even with, you know, a studio producer coming in, you know, you, there, there, there still can be ways to just kind of play to the camera and be look like you're having a good time. And he just looked like he was so confused. And it's just like, okay, well, you fucked it up, you know, editing or not. Um, I know this is where she meets, like, she, like, I think for a while, like, dated an assistant director who had worked on a lot of the blockbusters she was on and then, like, married a businessman. Um, and then after Suicide Squad, she does the Goodbye, Christopher Robin. Did you see that one? Um, I, I remember seeing part of it. We watched that in school. Um, really? I didn't graduate high school until 2018. We... Oh, Nice. We watched that in school, but it was one of those things we never finished it. I think we were like, it was like we we're watching it right before spring break or something. Oh, gotcha. But we did start that too. I, I remember huh. watching part of that one. All right. Uh, what, what's your take on it? I mean, again, another biography and. Oh, very forgettable. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I thought it was cute, but I didn't best of the year like they were saying i'm like yeah no i i, I just took it took more to the other christopher robin movie that had even mcgregor almost I, around that same I time to watch that one with you mcgregor i i love you and um because that was I, the same year dr sleep came out wasn't it i think so you know he does a cool you know more serious and dramatic version mm-hmm. and i think some people didn't give it a chance because they just didn't like how the cgi was or something and it's like I, I dug it, and then, of course, you know, you can tell in, like, the last 20 minutes the director has to compromise with the studio and be a little too cute. And it's like, well, at least before that, that had some interesting dramatic buildup. <laughs> yeah, um, Christopher Robin, the, you, know, you mentioned the CGI. I personally thought it looked phenomenal. I love the... Well, no, I'm just saying... You look... Well, I don't know why people didn't like it. I, I, yeah, I mean, the, the CGI does what it's supposed to do. I just noticed so many people will just kind of go into cinema sins mode and just kind of tear apart a trailer. And it's just like, you, they, they don't realize that, you know, the dark side of Hollywood, where it's like they, you know, it used to be everything was produced in studio. Now it's, you know, they always hired, you know, giant companies to make these, you know, mm-hmm. trailers for them. And it's like, yeah, don't it. Don't don't rely on those guys to tell the story for you. If you like the gimmick and the premise, you know the trailer is never going to be one hundred percent. Yeah, uh, you, you should learn your lesson about, especially with uh, like the Marvel or DC films. <laughs> you're right. Um. Yeah. Also, while we're on the topic of uh, Christopher Robin, um, that movie reminded me so much of Hook, for Robin Williams. Yeah, it should be bigger than it is, and yet it just kind of. It just only gets from point A to B without anything really spectacular happening. It's like, well, maybe it'll age better. Who knows? I hope. I mean, I can see it doing better on the movie channels and, you know, for family night. But like you say, it's like it could be a little more noteworthy as opposed to, well, that was cute. It's like, well, it should be more than cute. It should be you're doing a biography. You want to be spectacular. you know? Yeah, I agree on that. I still need to give it a watch at some point, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And then she's in Peter Rabbit, which I think she's doing a sequel to. She is doing a sequel to that. Okay, yeah. That was Uh, another weird one. We watched that in school. (laughs) Yeah, I... I kind of had trouble getting into it, and that was kind of another one where it was just like they were getting every Aussie or British actor to just kind of do a voice, and it's like Daisy Ridley from Star Wars is in that too. Yes, she is. It's Cottontail, and then there's freaking live action people like again Donald Gleason again, uh, Rose Burns, Sam Neill. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the hell. Um public education in my state is thinking why we watched Peter Rabbit when I was a junior in high school. <laughs> uh, yeah, I trust me, it was crappy even back in like the early 2010s when I had gotten out of high school just then and it was like, okay, well we didn't learn anything in between all the other stuff and what's the it's like they'll just start a movie just to make time go by. It's like, I got nothing else to spare. It's like, are you serious? <laughs> Auto was really awful, man. Um, I took the Spanish class and I, I did not learn a single word of Spanish taking it. But we had to watch Moana in Spanish. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I hate that too. And it's just like, even with subtitles, it's like, you know, it's just people are paying so much attention to the movie, whether they have or hadn't seen it. And when you you know, combine it with, again, having to make out every single word. is like, we got to figure out the conjugation and all that shit. It's just like, Especially yeah. when it's a musical event, too. <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah, back to, um, what, what's next on the, the filmography? Uh, there's another movie on Hulu that's kind of her John Wick Tarantino kind of movie that wasn't by Tarantino called Terminal. Dude, I am pissed. I wanted to watch that today. Um, oh, good. And I did not it's, have time. I want. It, I will be watching that tomorrow. Actually, <laughs> it's another one. It, you know, you're either gonna like it or you hate it. I thought there were some mm-hmm. dull moments in it, but I thought some of the other characters were very hysterical, like okay. Mike Myers. Uh, but you know, don't go inspecting an action movie. It's kind of more of a stylish, violent comedy. If that See, makes sense. I'm, I'm fine with that. I love Mike Myers, so that has me thrilled even more to watch it. Yeah, I guess I was a little disappointed he could have been used a little more, but I mean, I just never expect much from these movies. It's like, well, you know, most of the time these movies get panned just because they're, I don't know, they're kind of referencing earlier cult movies, like from the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s, and so I was just like, well, like, I think there was this one movie I forget what it was. It was talking about how dangerous TV can be. And I was like, okay, well, it was kind of like the cable guy, which was another movie, which, you know, got decimated. Um, Videodrome? Not Videodrome, but kind of similar to that. There's, there's a bunch of similar movies that have come out recently that have been talking about how, you know, TV can fuck up your life. And it was just like so many people wanted to politicize and everything. It's like, guys, it's just food for thought. That's all it is. Don't make this yeah. anything more than it is. And again, mm-hmm. Videodrome and Cable Guy both got decimated at the time, but they're like now. So it's like, what's what are you doing? And it's just, you don't have to. Some movies you don't even have to really. It can be kind of like Nolan's Tenet, where you don't have to like it then and there, but you think about it afterwards, and then you kind of just that's the fun, you know. And yeah, man, I, I feel you. That's a good comparison to Tenet. Uh, yeah, and it's just like so many people. They'll say, I don't want to watch it multiple times. I'm like, okay, well, stop complaining. 
Yeah, my um, both of my co-hosts on my show, I mean, they blown away by ten, absolutely blown away. I think they've each watched it like three times on top of their theater experience since it's been on um, Blu-ray the four times. Nice. <laughs> I, I don't want to watch it anytime soon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I was too. Let the hype die down, and then just go in cold when you know you want to. And that's yeah. just it. I think so many people they get hyped up or whatever, and just for any movie. And I mean, Christopher Nolan, there's still going to be some movies that not everyone cares for, and that's fine. But it's like, uh, you know, with Terminal, it was just kind of like, yeah, this is just kind of a wacky movie. You either like it, you either laugh or you don't. That's all there mm-hmm. is to it. Um. I haven't seen Slaughterhouse Rules, but much like Terminal, she's co-starring with uh, Simon Pegg, and it's just kind of another kind of action comedy horror movie. It it definitely gave me vibes of The Hunt and The Purge and Your Next, those kind of movies, you know, Ready or Not. Um, yeah. This is like just so. I heard some good stuff about it. I saw other people complaining about the obvious. Oh, it's gory. It's like, like you weren't expecting that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you be gory? I mean, come on. Not everything is a Disney movie. When did gore harm you? (laughs) Right. Yeah. That part. (laughs) No, it didn't inspire violence and other things unless you were, you know, a psycho who was looking for inspiration. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, you, um, you forgot to mention one of her her bigger roles, in my opinion. Oh, uh, Wolf, Wolf of Wall, Wall Street. My bad. Yeah, shit. Yeah, that, that gets her on the map, and mm-hmm. it's kind of a supporting role. Um, uh, so, what's your take on Scorsese? You know, is it a big one, or is it a... I assume as a director? Oh, yeah, in terms of that movie versus his other oh. stuff. Um, I loved Wolf of Wall Street. I watched it for the first time recently. Um, I, I've been putting it off so much just because Scorsese's stuff is so intimidating to me. But... Yeah, I couldn't get into some of his recent stuff. Um, this one, I liked some of the other supporting roles, like you know Jonah Hill and Rob Reiner. Uh, I guess I felt like it kind of took too many liberties with the story, and her character wasn't was kind of just you know, uh, girlfriend, not really developed. Uh, I, I do like business kind of movies, though, like, the you know, 1987's Wall Street and Boiler Room. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some funny moments in this one. I, I just felt it would have been better without all the sleaze and everything, even though that was part of the story. I just kind of felt like they just hit on it. It's like, OK, I get it. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. getting played. <laughs> but um, uh, as far as like this movie comparing to Goodfellas, because like his typical kind of like gangster films, I love it. This is... um. This is uh, not quite a risk, because like I say, it does follow with this, this whole runtime thing and this whole, you know, testosterone film. Yeah. You know, says he is. Um, but this one's fun compared to his other movies, in my opinion. Uh, this is definitely a good dark comedy to watch. And I think even though, like you said, her, her character is kind of shallow quite a bit. She doesn't have that much development. She is a good support. Uh, she definitely felt like she was just naturally just having fun with the whole thing. Um, and that kind of sets her up for I, Tanya. It's like, okay, you're going to do all these other, you know, dark comedic biographies where the character talks to the camera, breaks the fourth wall. Yeah. I, I Tanya is, is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> sure, for sure. Did she, um, 
what was she nominated for? Right, I forget. Was it uh, Golden Globe or Oscar? Uh, let's look. Awards and nominations received by Marco. Okay. So, Academy Awards nominated for Itonium Bombshell, and then a lot of the same for the BAFTA, Golden Gloves. Uh, so, Boston Society of Film Critics is what nominates her for Wolf of Wall Street for Best Cast, so there you go. Um, there you go. Uh, one critic's choice for Suicide Squad and I, Tanya, so there you go. Um, shit. So, and then she won an Empire Award for Best Female Newcomer for Wolf of Wall Street, so there you go. Um, <laughs> it definitely got her noticed, because... I mean, hell, she even got an MTV Best Breakthrough Performance nomination, so there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, she kind of does more than just what everyone kind of starts out with, where they have a big bunch of quantity on their resume before they get to the quality section. And I think she just kind of, she always had was just keeping busy, just trying a lot of atypical stuff. And she's in a lot more hits than misses, I guess. Oh, for sure, man, for sure. I saw Mary Queen of Scots. My sister's a big history buff, especially in all the kings and queens, and she didn't want to bother with a minute of this. I had some other pals who kind of dug it more because they're into costume dramas. I was kind of just meh on this one. Like, it was just well acted. She played well as Queen Elizabeth I, and she's playing off of David Tennant, Guy Pierce, and Cyrus and Ronan. I remember seeing, um, I was big in the Doctor Who at one point, I remember seeing David Tennant promote the hell out of this movie, but I, I'm not into the whole Victorian. Era I don't. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, dude, I don't remember him in the movie. <laughs> I, and I, I love Tennant. I think he's a very charismatic dude. You know, Broadchurch, all these. You know, you, you, you always expect him to be hysterical or just nail it. You know, as playing yeah. you know, a profiler, a serial killer, or a some other scene still in kind of presence you know um uh but yeah this one i think she was kind of the standout performance in this and i don't mean that to be mean to Tennant or pierce or even sarson ronan you know they they're, they're always in a lot of good movies and have a lot of cool range and i don't know i think uh margo was just having more fun just kind of playing up how spoiled this queen was and just biting into a lot of camp and I think, okay. I guess you could say that was kind of a conflict of interest. You just had someone from London making her debut who wasn't the most experienced. You had mm -hmm. a guy from House of Cards who was kind of full of himself and a little too self-indulgent on this one. And it's just like, well, I think there's too many. Again, like Legend of Tarzan, too many cooks in the kitchen. It just like, yeah. <laughs> and not enough does this actually work? So I wouldn't be surprised if it was a crapshoot and that's just what ended up, you know, just as the movie is like, cause sometimes you can have a crapshoot like apocalypse now and you get a good movie. And then it's like with this one, I really don't know what they were going for. It <laughs> was it serious or was it camp. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so that brings us to dreamland. I wasn't able to find a way to watch this one. I know it was a limited release and much like, Z for Zachariah, it's kind of a return to uh, kind of a... Actually, no, not post-apocalyptic, although it looks apocalyptic. It's talking about just uh, the 30s, just, uh, you know, 
dust storms and droughts. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Um, I, I caught this. I don't even want to say caught it, man. I was in the waiting room, and this was on TV for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, what really? <laughs> I was getting work done to my car, and I was in a waiting. This was on, so I watched a few. Oh shit! We're breaking up again. God damn it. Uh, okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Shit. Okay. Uh, so it was just on one of the movie channels, just playing endlessly, and you're just kind of like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, it reminded me so much of Terrence Malick's uh, Badlands, if not in a good way. Um, <laughs> yeah. We come down my podcast, uh, Badlands, at one point, but this, this feels like one of those weird ripoffs. I know California is another one of them, California the Kid. That's a good comparison. It did kind of give me vibes of those killers on the run kind of movie, natural born killers. Uh, And now you said Badlands. I mean, there was a similar movie called Queen and Slim that everyone hyped up and I thought was all right, but not. I liked Queen and Slim. Um, I just wasn't a big fan of the the riot scene at one point. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, where I think the kid gets shot in the riot, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Yeah, this is it kind of it could have used a little better build-up, you know. Yes, I just kind of happened. That's why I was a big fan of that. But I like Queen Slim quite a bit. Um, but this this definitely feels like an off-brand Badlands. Yeah, it, that's kind of what I was getting from it. Um, I saw other people talking about it, and I was just like, okay, so what stands out about it and they couldn't tell me there's like oh there seems to be a lot of people in it they were kind of so distracted again people get distracted by the names mm-hmm. and it's just like do you actually want to see it or not and it's like just give a straight answer yeah i'll probably see it i feel like um since you mentioned distraction my names i feel like a lot of people do that with uh, wolf of wall street even that's a good movie with a lot of names unlike this one <laughs> yeah but um and again, man, like like I said earlier, I don't think Margot has had a bad role yet so far. I think she's made the best with whatever she's given with. Um, this just is not a good movie, but she's she's the standout part of it for sure. I, I believe you. It definitely feels like someone was watching Gone with the Wind or something too many times. They got to do all these period pieces mm-hmm. with, you know, two stars running against, you know, the screen and it. I don't know what it is. It seems like they spend so much time getting the big names versus getting a good production together. Because, yeah, I, I mean, l- looking at that poster, that looks like a total Photoshop. It's just like against a green screen. It's like, seriously? <laughs> you know? Oh, man, it's, it's clearly, yeah, it's very obvious. You can see the light wrapped around their bodies. Oh, no. I was just like, oh, you guys just didn't color correct this properly. You're just doing that because you don't feel like editing out the green. Yeah, it's like, or just rendering the actors a little more, just making it kind of blend. And it seems like, I don't know, you can watch some older movies where it's like literally all they did that what came first was lighting and, you know, frames per second, you know, and set design. It's mm-hmm. like, and it seems like they're, they just want to fix it all in post. They just want to market, market, market. And it's like, if it doesn't look good, people won't see it anyway. <laughs> yeah that's very true very true I, i've always kind of been more of a visual guy and I, I got into many an argument with just film professors you know in 
either film viewing or filmmaking classes. They, they mm-hmm. just they wanted to just kind of destroy this stuff and act like it wasn't good. Or and I was just like, well, someone likes it, you know. It's just like and uh, you know they hated visual effects, and it's like, well, visual effects can be well implemented into a story, you know. <laughs> it's, yeah. Watch, yeah, exactly. You're watch right. For right. Watch Forbidden Planet, 2001, any of the Star Trek movies or shows, and The Expanse, and that they just were not having it. They're just like, oh, it's all it's, it's all style over substance. I'm like, well, in some cases, sure, and sometimes style is the star of the show, and that's what makes it work. But mm-hmm. they they just were not having it. They're just like, if you don't like what I like, I'm not gonna, you know, bother with you. It's just like, what are you, dude? <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to be teaching ways to become a better filmmaker based off your learning. And right now, these people's credentials were very slim. Like, one of them, all they did was program stuff at PBS. And the other guys were just, they had done festival stuff. They had done shorts, but they hadn't done features. And I was just like, okay. And so the only guy with some solid advice was one who had been a production assistant for Richard Linkletter on Bernie and Kyle Smith. I still think. I still try to occasionally talk to him on occasion when I see a cool show that I think has some characterization he would approve of. And that's where I learned the most from. It's like, just go in the right direction. Do you have a story? Do you have an idea? And can it actually sustain the whole runtime? You know, because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's some good ideas, but unless you, you know, have something like happen to this character versus this plot twist that actually serves the story, you know, it might just become a little formulaic or drag out in the last 20 minutes, something like that. And it's like, yeah, it's hard to do, but this is way more beneficial than all this other stuff is like, look how he's lighting the scene. I don't think you know, <laughs> I do or do not approve. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. They were very anti music video too. And it's like, well, see, that's another tricky subject where it's like, it can work or it cannot work. You know? <laughs> that's interesting, man. I've never heard anyone being anti-music dude that's interesting (laughs) yeah it's weird it's just like some of the best in my opinion filmmakers started out as music video people i mean david fincher antoine fuqua and it's like the list goes on and it's like they were not having it one of them even gave a i respected so much with my heart compared to all the other hacks at that school but the only thing I could never agree with him on was he's like music videos or plot goes out the window. I'm like, well, that's kind of the fun of it all. You're, you're kind of creating a weird fantasy. That's like two to five minutes, you know? Yeah. I, I feel you on that. I agree. And, and I don't know. It's kind of redundant to complain. Yes. There are some where you're like, I don't get it, but it was well shot and it was, it got my attention and it kind of was a fun accompanying meant to the, you know, the tune um mm-hmm. so with Margot, i guess you could say she just benefits she's not starring with too many stylish filmmakers i mean i guess you could count ire but he was mainly kind of doing a mercenary job you know i mean suicide squad is not at all like any of the you know cops and robbers kind of movies he's done wow. and war movies <laughs> and and you know when the uh honest trailer people were hired to come in and kind of redo it is like you knew warner brothers was kind of calling the shots on that one um and birds of prey was just kind of a improvement for her because it's like okay it's her turn to shine and it's not an over-the-top it's not a gender politic kind of movies it's just a fun just romp it's the warriors but done for dc you know yeah i I really i love 
I love Birds of Prey, man, truly. That, that movie was just so much fun in general. And like I said, um, you can really tell she feels comfortable for the first time in this role. And I appreciate it. I saw this movie twice in theaters. I loved it. Absolutely. Uh, it's a fun cast. Stephen Williams from X-Files and 21 Jump Street. Once again, playing a captain. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who's uh, Journey uh, Smollett Bell from Underground. <laughs> you got Ewan McGregor, even. Yeah. So there, there you go. There's a Christopher Robin connection. <laughs> <laughs> Two different Christopher Robin actors. In this case, a guy who did play Christopher uh, Robin author. And, you know, and there you go. They're playing off each other. He's having a fun time being a bad guy. You can't remember the fun time he was a bad last time he was a bad guy and it was a good movie. You know, here he's just having so much fun. Um, evil Obi-Wan, as I call him. Uh, uh, so. With Dreamland, Queen of Sots, Scots, then you get to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I I love this movie. I'm, oh, I'm a huge, huge Tarantino fan. Matter of fact, man, um, this morning on the way to work, I was playing the soundtrack of this movie. <laughs> oh, good. I adore Tarantino's work. Um, you know, this one's a little bit, as people have some weird feelings on Once Upon a Time. Um, and he, I don't understand, because Tarantino did the same thing with Inglorious Bastards. He'll take an historic event, and then he'll give it a different ending. And I don't get why people don't, like, aren't appreciating the creativity of that. So with, you know, this being about the Manson murders for, of Sharon Tate, obviously, of Margo playing Sharon Tate, that was expected to be the big build-up. If it doesn't happen, Sharon Tate lives. Rick Dull ends up setting some of the, the cultists on fire for the flamethrower. End of this movie. And I remember when this came. Oh, shit. I lost you there again. I don't know what's going on today. Shit. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, can now you. I can hear you. Okay. Yeah. Now you're good. Okay. What was last time? You were talking about, uh, don't understand, you know, how everyone seems to expect a biography when it's clear that Tarantino is doing a satire and an alternative yeah. history. Yeah, man. Um, I, I, I guess. I I liked similar movies like this, like The Player and all that, that just kind of show the behind the scenes hecticness mm-hmm. of Hollywood and everything. I kind of feel like this is kind of. I don't want to say well worn territory because there's nothing wrong with doing a fun uh, behind the scenes of uh, the glamour and uh, toxicness of Hollywood. Um, I don't know. I just kind of feel like I, I prefer Tarantino when he just kind of stays in the whole. Just he creates his own criminal storyline. Okay. Uh, I I mean I can do bastards. Um, what was the one he did before? And yeah, Django I thought was fun, but the soundtrack was just very annoying as opposed to fun. In my <sighs> opinion, Django has, in my opinion, the best soundtrack of Tarantino stuff aside from Pulp Fiction. I mean, there there is some good stuff. It's just the Kanye West stuff just takes me out of it. I'm just like, what Kanye? Kanye's not on the soundtrack for Django. Uh, there's that's uh, you know, Tupac. That was Tupac. Tupac oh. and James Brown. When, um, oh, uh, James Brown, I remember. But yeah, there was like a Tupac song that just played, and I was like, okay, Tupac is cool, but what, there's what also that? um, there's a Rick Ross song at one point, the Hunter Blackhawk. <laughs> that might be what I'm thinking of. It's okay. like. It's like what uh, I don't know. Uh, Hateful Eight 
also gets some hate. I think that one has grown on a few people just because it's got an extended version on Netflix. But, I mean, I don't know. This one just went way too overlong for me, and I just didn't connect with any of the characters. But I do think Margot was awesome as Sharon Tate. It's like you mm-hmm. can tell she studied the role. And yeah. even Damian Lewis was interesting as Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. That brief scene. I don't know. It just... It, it got very drowsy for me after a while, and I like some free four-hour movies, but I don't know. I it it didn't connect with me at all. I I I am due for a rewatch. I will give you that. Um, and I do think it is very well shot. It has some fun cameos, like Timothy Oliphant is one of the producer guys, and mm-hmm. uh, the Bounty Law. I think I'm actually a little stoked for because I think that could be a pretty cool show. I forget the guy's name that played Bruce Lee, but there's another cameo right there, too. And now, I will give you that. Everyone, why the hell are we having this Bruce Lee argument? This isn't meant to be a biography. Mm-hmm. That's the whole fun of it. You would expect Bruce Lee to win, because he's the man, and that's the whole thing. You got this douchey, you know, stunt guy who's talking shit, but is pretty good at kicking ass and that's the fun <laughs> he's, <Yeah. laughs> he's not he's not even trying and he just basically says yeah sure i can kick bruce lee's ass he sucks he's a pussy <laughs> mm-hmm. and like you say why the fuck was that a whole just non-stop clickbait it's just like no <laughs> it's not meant to be realistic <laughs> it, it's one well, thing if you like or hate a movie but don't complain a movie that's uh, that's not meant to be realistic that's mm-hmm. like if I if I come up to you and say, I don't think any of that stuff in Taxi Driver happened. It's like, well, that's kind of the point of the movie that you don't know what happened in his head versus what happened in reality. Same thing with American Psycho, you know? Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, I was about to list off American Psycho as well. Yeah, it's just like, come on. If, you, you, if you're going to bash a movie, you've got to really carefully think out what you do or do not like about it. Uh, what, what I don't like about uh, the Tarantino's alternative history isn't that it's historically inaccurate, because that's the point. He's doing a fun, just kind of riff on it. <laughs> what if this happened this way and that way? He, uh, it's just I, I just don't connect to the characters as much as I do, say, like Jules or Vincent in Pulp Fiction. Or <laughs> Okay, that's <laughs> but, fair enough. I can see where you're coming from with that, at least. But then again, that's also apples and oranges. That's, you know... <laughs> That's an original, you know, indie kind of film. And here he's on a bigger budget and he's just having more fun. But mm-hmm. again, like you say, this movie, it, it, you definitely remember, again, her uh, creation as Sharon Tate and just looking at, again, just the 70s era of Hollywood and how it's just kind of just, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a riffraff. It's just going around and you're seeing all these. Co- uh, names who are well liked, and yet, the, you know, the closer you get to know your heroes, the more you realize, wow, they're kind of batshit insane. <laughs> a little bit. Um, but overall, man, I, I love, I love Margot in this movie. Um, she's definitely the standout for me in this. And I, I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, I love Tarantino's work, and I love her as Sharon Tate. I wish we could have, I wish we could see her in more roles like this, but I don't. Think I don't, sure, sure. Hey. <laughs> well, what, what, what if he gets her to co-star opposite uh, Bastard Star Diane Kruger and some of those other gals? Oh, that'd be cool, man. I'm, I'm all for that. You know, Tarantino always likes to reuse Fem- cast members. So. A female Expendables. There you go. 
<laughs> that was going to be a thing at one point. I, I'm a big Stallone fan, and I remember he was promoting the Expendables. Oh, yeah. Um, and they, they kept just kind of talking about doing this or that with it. And mm-hmm. I, I, I even was helping out with the Wicca, and s- people just kept adding their fan list. And it's like, people, please cite you know the newest articles. Like, the article with Pierce Brosnan joining, that's a well-sourced article. This one from the India Sun-Times, you know, no. That that didn't even yeah. cite anything. <laughs> Charlie's Theron and Sigourney Weaver are not joining. I like them, but, I mean, come on. Even yeah, Weaver said... I remember that, though. Not a lot of people remember the Expendables franchise for whatever reason, but I love it. It's like... I, I mean... I, I'm something else. I, I like these new image Lionsgate type of movies that are homages to the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong sometimes some of them backfire and i don't mean those movies in particular i mean some just other ones just are annoying and everything or too cute for their own good but for the most part a lot of people when they complain it's still a lot about a lot of the stuff that you didn't complain the first time you know when you saw i don't know escape plan lethal weapon die mm-hmm. hard all these other movies it's like 48 hours like everyone was bashing hitman's bodyguard i'm like that's just being 48 hours that's all it is yeah. if you like if you like those you like this and even gary oldman's kind of doing a homage to his air force one villain <laughs> with his ruthlessness mm-hmm. and like you say it's just like it's like i don't know people don't they either we're getting too many millennials who don't understand what it is or just kind of i don't know it's just Maybe they just don't want to have a good time. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> maybe <laughs> they're they just only want to do Star Wars and Marvel. I'm like, well, I want something more than just those. I want, I want like, you know, you can have all that. You can have Fast and Furious. You can have uh, Transformers. You can have all that other stuff. But I I kind of want to still see Arnold, all the Planet Hollywood people, and the Statham and the other martial artists just have a lot of fun. <laughs> you just... Yeah, man, that's exactly what the Expendables are. That's that's why I love them. That's why they still hold up. Uh, for sure. Uh, I mean, for God's sakes, in the first one, you even had other 80s badasses like Eric Roberts and Mickey Rourke. And I feel like, yeah, Robbie and Theron could definitely do a cool kind of just, I mean, especially with uh, the old guard. I could, I could see them doing their own kind of retro take on, you know, men on a mission kind of movies. <laughs> And don't forget how, um, you know, the third one is Harrison Ford, Chuck Norris as well. Right? I mean, and they're all making fun of their classic, you know, Chuck is making mm-hmm. fun of his jokes and Harrison's making fun of his Star Wars persona. <laughs> and, yeah, it's like, I mean, Wesley Snipes, Banderas, Scott Atkins, Van Damme. I mean, what else do you want? I mean, the, the, there wasn't going to be much of a plot with those anyway. They were just silly. just fun. And I'll tell you what, too, man. Um. My my eighty year old grandmother loves Expendables to this day. It's a oh, great really? with her. She loves them. I nice. cannot get her to watch any action movies other than Star Wars, but she really? loves Expendables. She uh, thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. As close as I got, I was trying to get my grandmother, who was familiar with like seventies hits, but would never follow the endless sequels to them. And I know she was familiar with Rocky. She had watched many of Walker, Texas Ranger episodes, despite it being really, you know, her 
she usually wanted stuff to be a little plausible and for whatever reason that was just comfort food for her and she'd watch stuff like that in cis and i was like yeah you gotta watch the expendable <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm glad we could relate to that <laughs> it's just like if I, I the closest i got i was able to get her to watch stuff like uh 24 hawaii 50 just fun just kind of okay. throwbacks to those 80s and 90s kind of movies and shows you know <laughs> like uh, like hunter and macgyver you know and it's like okay well that's gonna have to do for now because i can't get her to watch all the other star wars and star trek movies she's only familiar with like the original original <laughs> just so i had her i sit her i set her down and um you had my grandmother watch the the sequels just because she wanted to see like harrison older and harry whatnot she loved him as well um but it's kind of her to the help right as close as i got with her i mean i know she over time had seen plenty of other harrison ford movies like you know the jack ryan films uh air force one and and that was just enough for her he's like okay i've seen all his you know government presidential roles and you know he's not going anywhere (laughs) he'll always be around (laughs) um so i guess this leads me to sorry to get political guys but we're talking about a political bio called bombshell so what's your take on this one? Oh, i also i i loved bombshell um, yeah my my girlfriend also watched bombshell with me when i when i came home one day um from work she she adored it as well um i, I wouldn't call it this isn't a documentary whatsoever i mean i guess you call it a biopic i call it more of a mockumentary um yeah because like have, uh like the like Vice and the Big Short, it does have times where they're just talking to the camera, saying, "And by the way, this guy's an asshole," you know, shit like that. And they'll know? do like the the camera glare overs, like they'll glance at and whatnot. Um, I thought it was a clever way to get around, you know, offending Republicans by not recasting Trump and just using news footage of him. Yeah, that was clever. And John Lithgow was well. He did a hell of a job as Roger Isles. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's played many a slimeball villain, but man, I never thought he would play the founder of this, you know, propaganda network. And it does a good job of just showing you how, you know, MSNBC will have their so agenda on just bashing everyone to where they won't listen to the, you know, the victims' stories once in a while. It's like, yeah, there's people who work for this giant who even they, you know, take a while to realize I've been such a dipshit. You know, I've become a victim of this crappy you know industry that is sexist bigoted you know and just yeah has anything but reporting the news <laughs> and um I, w- I won't get political on recording but oh i think God. macho is a is a phenomenal <laughs> sexual awareness film as well this is something that i think deserves to be seen years and years from now for sure um uh, very much so it didn't it remind you of just some of the Throughout the 90s, you know, there were so many, you know, just very well done, you know, like legal thrillers mm-hmm. that weren't preachy and just really hit home on just how it's just like it, uh, friends close, enemy closer kind of thing. Like this kind of even has shades of that one uh, Demi Moore, Michael Douglas movie uh, by Barry Sonnenfeld, uh, Disclosure. I, I partially remember that. I think I think I already talked about it. I think I've seen yeah. that. It kind of has that. Uh, maybe maybe the cl- a John Grissom kind of movie where he's just kind of just showing you just again like like you say just showing you how uh, you know business uh, versus success versus you know moral ambiguity and you know uh, 
hats off to all the leading gals, you know, Nicole Kidman's kind of the main front and center. And then Margo's kind of the main follow. And then you got Charlie Theron, you know, as the main support, you know, as Megan Kelly, you know, mm-hmm. who's had a huge career and continues to be controversial. And yet at the same time, you know, was a victim. And so you got some of these people who, you know, are in the right heads, but you know, they just got to start out and, you know, pick what they can chew and then at the same time you got other people who just seems to just not care about reporting the news and kind of more about fame and you know as a result you know they're becoming victims because it's a very unprofessionally run you know site in the early 90s and uh i don't think it's as great a movie as like some of the other j road stuff like uh game change and all the way where you know brian cranston played lbj or so even as awesome seen those uh I think you'll like some of those, especially recount might get a little too preachy for you about the okay. 2000 election, but I think you'll like the Sir Palin one about game change with Ed Harris and Julianne Moore. Um, uh, but yeah, Jay Rhodes, I mean, he's done all these various comedies, you know, like meet the parents and uh, the campaign and Trumbo also with Brian Cranston as the screenwriter. Um, and of course, again, he'll just always be a, a fan, I'll always be a fan just from Austin Powers alone. But I mean, he's, um, yeah, like you say, this is just a very ma- rare, mature kind of movie. It's like anyone else would have probably kind of divided the audience too much or just mm-hmm. not had it, had it or just not organized it as well. And I think much like Vice, you know, with Christian Bell as Dick Cheney. I love that as well. Yeah, it's just like this and wall street and i Tanya, it's just in the same realm it's accessible it's going to appeal to even people who absolutely hate talking about politics just because there's like well still this what this isn't a stupid movie this isn't clickbait this is actually just talking about how again you know it's a rough world just trying to get into the news network and see that you know there's a lot of people with different agendas <laughs> yeah, it is a rough world like you said um in in my opinion, man, um, you know, obviously Margo's going to go much farther. She's a phenomenal actress. Um, if there's one movie based off her current filmography, like Counting Out I, Tanya, I think this is her top role. Um, this totally. is, like I said, deserves to be seen years from now. Absolutely. It's like this, Harley Quinn, and, you know, one of the Tarantino collaborations, and definitely... Um, uh, uh, I Tanya, just because I mean, she picked I Tanya. Sorry if we went over that a little bit, guys. Uh, but I mean, I think I feel like it's kind of been said enough. She picked that was kind of I Tanya was kind of you know, Wolf of Wall Street got her into the biography movies, I Tanya got her into where she was producing and picking atypical personas to portray. She never heard of this person, it was like, This person is just nutty. <laughs> I have an idea of who could perfectly be cast in this. And yeah, uh, Bombshell is kind of, once again, same kind of tone. And yet, surprisingly, she's kind of more subtle with her acting choices in this one versus, you know, Itania, where, you know, she had to go for over the top. She was the main star, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and this one, right. she's like second build and, you know, playing opposite Kidman and Theron. And it's like, it's a. Sh- I don't get a sense of ego about her at all. I just think she's just a delightful, just ensemble kind of person. She's just like legit wants to make one hell of a movie every time, you know? And that's, that's true. You can uh, tell she carries that personality with her in every role, pretty much. 
Pretty much is like just charisma. That's all you need. Exactly, Confidence yeah. and charisma. And don't get me wrong. It's okay to have an ego. It's just we often, you know, it, it's kind of like the word overrated. It's associated with negativity because often it entails that someone's been out of bounds, you know? Mm-hmm. But like we like Stallone. We were talking about Stallone earlier. We like him because of his ego. <laughs> and, yeah, like Stallone is my favorite actor all the time. There you go. And, uh, whether the movie's good or not, it doesn't matter. He made it be a Stallone movie. And I think exactly. That's man. just like, it. What other what other person in the eighties and nineties could make a movie about a trucker thumb wrestling and it be good? <laughs> <laughs> right. There you go. And and or you forgive it and just love it more. It's like, but the passion, the <laughs> that, yeah, the over the exactly. it really is, it had to be over the top. Have you not heard the title? And so there you go. Uh, Margot, I think, just carries just a rare kind of. She's down to be the supporting versus the leading. It just whatever the project demands. And I mean, like I said before, I can't think of anyone who, in their first decade or so of of a career, is okay with again just being in an ensemble let alone doing cameos and it seemed like for a while she was going to do kind of a predictable kind of career where she does, you know, an award-winning movie and then a, you know, a few voiceover roles and then superhero stuff. But now she's just doing all kinds of unexpected movies and other lesser seen independent stuff that everyone still wants to check out. And it's like, um, I, I feel she's just a team player. She wants, you know, any kind of movie, it doesn't have to be a popularity contest where, oh, I'm in this and I'm in that, you know, and if you don't like it, fuck you, you know, it's just not none mm-hmm. of that. Um, so, yeah, I haven't seen Promising Young Woman, but like you say, she's the producer of that. So. I, have, I have some mixed feelings on Promising Young Woman. Um, I'm, this this isn't to, a, to offend anyone out there. That's all right. I'm We're not. Before COVID shut down, the, sh- the trailer was before you know, the theaters and whatnot. And I had AMC A list. I would see movies two or three times a week. So I saw this trailer a lot. Um, gotcha. I love the, the orchestrated uh, Bernie Spears Toxic in the trailer. But to be honest, it made me up just misremembering because I completely forgot about this movie until the Oscar nomination. Well, I think that's just it. I think everyone. They want to overhype everything, and if you don't like something, oh, how dare you? You must be a boring person. It's like, let bygones be bygones. Let everyone be who they want to be. I mean, there's plenty of movies that I love that I probably won't even see again for a while. You know, like Judas and the Black Messiah and Chicago 7 were both really good, but then there's other movies where it's like, I might only watch once, like The Sound of Metal and Minari. And I think this is another one. It's like, you'll probably watch it once, Maybe every once in a while, but it's like there there's so many movies to keep track of. It's okay to forget or not know. But yeah, um I mean this has a good cast. I mean, Ellison Bree, you know, so there's the community connection for you. There's Carrie Mulligan. Um That's that's why I, I it's like like I said, I forgot about this movie until Oscar Nom. So like I remember the trailer being about like the woman going crazy. So when I went into this, I totally forgot who was in this movie. You know, other than Carrie Mulligan. And I had these high expectations based on the cast and everything that people were talking about. Um, I, I I don't like Promising Young Woman because of Carrie Mulligan. I just thought she was a little miscast there. Or... Um, 
she just comes across as uninterested in this role, in my opinion. Oh, that's fine. I I haven't seen it yet. I mean, I, I have that with every other movie, and I have to always explain to everyone. It's like, okay, I ha- I like the actor or actress, but I don't feel like they're right for this role or that they're... They yeah. And, or I just don't prefer... I prefer to not see them in that. I think like, everyone has what something they prefer in it. Like, I love the hell out of Liam Neeson and Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you, they've done at least maybe three different movies where... Yeah, they kind of just were casted just for name recognition, not because they were ripe for the role. So, yeah, there's a lot of actors like that. I mean, even Stallone and some stuff. <laughs> so there you go. And it's just like, this seems like a Sidney Lumet kind of movie. If he were kind trying to do something kind of like American Psycho or Easy A or even Falling Down, <laughs> just some kind of real life revenge movie. And yet. Like you say, it's just like you got to be an eider in the mood, or you just got to say, "Well, interesting cast, but not really my thing." You know, it just it kind of reminded me of. I'll tell you the vibes when I saw the poster. It reminded me of that one movie where they kind of they did a Weinstein kind of inspired workplace, okay. and every every I and again, I always forget the name, but if you look it up, you'll instantly recognize it and it was one of those everyone was talking so much about the idea and no one was talking about the movie and anytime you ask them about the movie it's like well it could have gone way harder you know it could have gotten grittier you know it could have gone all the way and it was like well the idea was interesting (laughs) yeah Um, and it was one of those is like i i i watched it i think when it was on one of the movie channels and i was like yeah, they totally held back. That's why I didn't like it. It, it needed to go all the way. It, it needed to just say, you know, screw lawsuits. You know, we gotta, we we gotta make do with our premise, with our gimmick, <laughs> mm-hmm. instead of say, well, we're afraid, so we're just kind of, kind of like the Will Smith movie on the NFL on concussion. We'll we'll heavily imply, but oh, we gotta hold back because you know, we'll be sued by the very corporation that we're complaining about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like, if it's a true story, you're protected technically under the law saying, you know, that is a cited fact. (laughs) Yet Mm. everyone is afraid. They're just afraid. And it's like, well, then don't complain about being the victim. You got to go all the way. And I get that. It's not easy there. We've all quit a job where our boss was the dick and there's just nothing was going to be done about it. But if you are committed, you got to go all the way, especially when it's a docudrama or inspired by real encounters. And like I say, it's sounding like Promising Young Woman is trying to be kind of an American psycho falling down, and it just was a little too subtle for its own good. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it, it's very much a revenge story. Don't get me wrong. Um, in that's not where the issue lies for me. Just like, it's name. just the casting. I I don't care for Carrie Mulligan whatsoever. Um. I get some very uninteresting kind of vibe from her in this in this film. Like she's just kind of there almost, even though some people, you know, praise her for this role. I did not feel the emotion to the screen like everyone else did. What really killed it for me was uh oh burn. I I hate that guy so much. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, she's been in some interesting movies, but yeah, I've. She's just kind of like some of the other people she co-stars with. I've just kind of been like, oh, yeah, you are in that movie. Just, there's there's so many people for us to follow. And 
I don't know. It, it seems like it could have probably gotten someone like, I don't know, Jessica Chastain or maybe even Robbie herself. Maybe that's why she's a producer. She was probably supposed to star. And then she I was couldn't. just about to say that. Um, I think Robbie would have been perfect for this role. I don't know why she didn't do it. I, yeah, maybe COVID, maybe some other commitments. Maybe she had five other things that she had to supervise. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Or I guess she, maybe she just wanted to expand her producing you know, list. Um, I don't know. Uh, only time will tell. But like I guess we're saying before, I don't think she can really do any wrong. And if she's in any movie that we don't really care for, it's really just because the movie was just kind of a miss. Um, yeah. I'm intrigued about the cast for Canterbury Glass, which is a period film, but like you, I'm half and half on those period drama films. I've seen everyone just praise the wor- world about some of those, and unless it's like a very epic kind of miniseries or a very well done, you know, like HBO movie, mm-hmm. that's that's more than just about the performances and actually gives you the themes. Like, I'll give you an example. The, the six, uh, Beckett. I think that is just spectacular. Just Peter O'Toole playing opposite Peter uh, uh, Burden and uh, uh, Richard Burden and then you got A Man for All Seasons those movies both appeal to me because of how they're characterized and just showing a madman and they insert some dark comedy and other stuff I, I can even handle a lot of the king and queen type of movies that the likes of Timothy Dalton were in you know just because again they just made good on their gimmick and, and had a lot of interesting things going on. Uh, Dangerously Asians, I think, is another example. Mm-hmm. Just brilliantly portrayed and well-realized by Glenn Close and John Malkovich. But like you say, there's just so many of these other movies where it's like, okay, I'll watch it. You know, Emma Thompson or Anthony Hopkins is in it, but I don't remember anything about it. Why the hell is everyone blowing their load over this movie? <laughs> it's just, it's not... It's, you're not going to watch it again unless you're just one of those, I guess, boomers who's just got to watch it. It's on Turner Classic Movies. It's like, just because it's on Turner Classic Movies does not necessarily mean it's a classic. It's just, it's, it's in the vault. <laughs> it's rotating. Yeah, uh, I feel you on that. This has a cool cast. And, you know, Christian Bell, John David Washington, you know, son of Denzel, uh, Zoe Zaldana. Love him, dude. Oh, yeah. Every, throughout Tenet, we were like, Oh, he's got his dad's walk. He doesn't just have his voice. He has his walk. Um, we got Rami Malek, Zoe Zaldano, who I'm glad to see again. Can't remember the last thing she was in. Chris Rock, Michael Shannon, Leland Orser, and a bunch of other French actors you might remember. Uh, Matthias Sochiards and uh, even Timothy Oliphant and Mike Myers. Um, I guess where I'm just unsure about, I just have a feeling this is probably going to be Oscar bait. And... Don't get me wrong, I like Silver Linings Playbooks and Free Kings, but I just hate David O. Russell as a person. <laughs> <laughs> it's just seeing him just be such a spaz and over the top and a dick to everyone, I'm just like, fuck you. You just make the movie and stop being a pain in everyone's ass. <laughs> just, yeah, I agree. You're demanding method acting, you're method directing. It's like, no, that way too, way overdoing it there, dude. Um, <laughs> I haven't really been crazy about his last few movies. I know some of them really were enjoyed by many and others were just like, I didn't get it either. And I'm just like, well, at least he just isn't overusing people like Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper, or Marky Mark. He's actually just kind of picking an atypical cast once again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Um, because again, those actors are fine in their own right, and then there's other people who just are not going to see that movie just because they're in it. And I'm just like, he just needs to stop being predictable with his cast. He needs to just kind of okay, I'll pick one of my favorite character actors, but you know, this time they're not the lead. This time they're supporting, you know, and then it's a whole new slate. The rest of the cast, and it's just like, don't get me wrong. It's fun to work with your friends and other people you love getting a performers out of, but then at the same time, it's like, okay, well, we we the viewer kind of want to be a little less, a little more surprised and a little less kind of, oh, how obvious, you know? <laughs> yeah, I agree with that as well. I, I feel you. Like, he's working with Ayler Taylor-Joy. He's working Alessandra Noviola. So, there you go. Uh, totally butchered that name there, but you know what I meant. Um, <laughs> it's a uh, that counts. Yeah, there you go. I know that she is a producer of the Hulu show uh, Dollface with Kat Dennings and Brenda Song. I haven't seen that yet. It's a comedy show. I've I've heard about that, actually, when I was going through, um, back when WandaVision was still on my podcast, we were talking about Kat Dennings and her filmography for a brief minute. Yeah. And that, that got brought up um, that she was in it. But we I don't think anyone on my podcast has watched it. Hulu doesn't seem to do as good a job of advertising some stuff. Like, there's still some historical stuff I want to watch and other epics and war movies and comedy shows. And like you say, it's like, we're, we're kind of just so glad that they finally got their shit together with all the, you know, TV classics and movies that are finally on there and actually staying on there for a, you know, unslated amount of time instead of, a, oh, you haven't watched it. It's expiring in, you know, 10 days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel you. They've come a long way, and I'm just impressed that they just finally got their shit together when they realized, okay, we got to play ball. Otherwise, we are going to basically get our asses handed by, you know, Prime and uh, Netflix and Disney+. Plus. <laughs> it's like, it's like, have a diversity. I mean, they, they learned their lessons. Like, okay, we got some of the stuff that, Netflix doesn't have that's again Swedish and German and French crime shows and uh, some other epic stuff that uh, you know hasn't been seen in a while um, yeah no this one seems like it's kind of like easy a where it's just kind of making fun of someone you know going through breakups and high school life um, becoming a woman so to speak um, you know I wasn't into two broke girls, but it seems like Kat Dennings has just become a heartthrob and just likable person in all these other movies and shows. Um, I love two broke girls, man. I, I love uh, the hell of that show. No, it's all good. I I, I I used to be into laugh track stuff, and then I just kind of had I just grew out of it. It's like, I need to get the the complete series on DVD. I, I love two broke girls. <laughs> there you go. All right. Does it even have a Blu-ray, or is it kind of? It's just DVD. <laughs> how long was it on? It was like. 12 seasons or some shit <laughs> um let me let me double check because it, it was on there for a hot minute i think it's like seven or eight dude um Jeez. i used to watch that every week <laughs> school. i loved it <laughs> okay uh, uh, six seasons hello What's going on with the Wi-Fi? Eh. Now I can hear you. I'm. I don't know what is up with this Wi-Fi tonight. Uh, six seasons. 
Seasons. Okay. Oh. So, on Dollface, basically, it's got a lot of guest stars. It's got Tia Career from Wayne's World. It's got Joey Lawrence and Dave Collier from Full House. It's got Ben Lawson, who was also with Margot Robbie on Neighbors. <laughs> He's been in some oppositional roles in Designated Survivor and 13 Reasons Why. Um, it's got, but yeah, Margot apparently plays a spiritual guide in one episode, and it's also got the one geeky guy, uh, Matthew Gray uh, Gubbler, who you probably know as Doctor Reed. Lines. Yeah, Doctor Reed. Mm -hmm. He's he's always appearing in some of these wacky horror movies and comedy films. <laughs> yeah, he, he is. My my yeah. girlfriend loves them. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's just what's interesting about the Criminal Minds and some of these other uh, TV show actors is like. Checking out their filmographies is actually worth it a lot because you get to see they've had so much range. It's just they've had also just career security and, again, just nailed it, just playing a key role. Mm. Well, so it's got my Disney star crush, Brenda Song, so that's cool. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if anyone remembers that name. Um, yeah, I remember from that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, see, I, I don't think I even got that far with that. I just would always watch every Disney Channel original movie just because she was in it. It was like, all right, oh. <laughs> cool. Oh, that's right. She was on Phil the Future. All right, so there you go. Um, I forgot she was in the social network. So, yeah, Dollface is kind of the current show that Margot produces. So um, I think, again, she has enough for anyone to follow. She also has a lot of stuff that you can check, kind of like Hugh Jackman. You can check out Pre-Fame and that, that'll be an interesting watch because she kind of was already she had her persona, she had her, how she walked and talked and it was just a matter of, it's like, we in the States didn't really see a lot of that stuff. So, um, I guess what would you like to see her in in the future? If um, I mean, like you said earlier, I'd I'd love to see your another Tarantino film. I think Tarantino's doing one more before he retires. Oh, he's um, never gonna retire. <laughs> well, he he's always stated through his career, you know, that he wants to do ten, just ten of them. All right, but technically he's over ten if you count producing. So. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you're talking about directing ten of them. Um, cause yeah, I know. It's one movie, but I'd love to see her in the tenth Tarantino film for sure. Um, <laughs> All right, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, serious, like controversial. Yeah, I mean, she could definitely. I could see her playing an infamous lawyer. I could see her playing some kind of activist who was kind of full of shed and just kind of mm -hmm. took to social media. She could nail that. Um, probably even more so. She could probably. Um, I don't know. Just I, I just kind of dig how instead of kind of going the easy route where she's just doing kind of goofy, not well realized kind of movies, she's really doing just a lot of diverse stuff, and it's just a lot of fun seeing what she'll do next. Um, because it's just anything but predictable, and I think whatever card she's been dealt, she really just was able to pick enough people's brains and just develop a lot of content. Kind of like, you know, you hear about Matthew McConaughey and Sandra Bullock and some other people being attached to certain projects. Mm -hmm. And and just now they're finally 
like people like uh, Reese Witherspoon are doing that, where they're producing a lot of stuff more than acting in it. Is like, uh, I think you just got to from that point on, just kind of be very, just be able to say no. <laughs> just, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. True. This will fuck up my career because you know you are as every much a brand as you are again a talent that you add to the cast. And again, I think everyone just lights up because you know they're not worried about oh who are you dating oh what stupid thing did you say at an award show? It's like no, they're they're hearing oh she's a cool person to work with and. I I liked her in that movie, so I will check it out, you know, without mm-hmm. seeing. She's not going to do a Christian build type, you know, <laughs> rant <laughs> on a movie and just be like, OK, so five years where I'm in the doghouse and I'm having to do stupid ass apologies. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been ri- I'm, she's not going to be like Alec Baldwin, where I'm I was on social media and I'm giving up Twitter for. 24 hours and I'll be back on the next day rendering my point mute (laughs) she also just seems to just get along with everyone if she doesn't like anyone she you know she's not she pretty much just says okay well I'm just as politically active as I'm going to be is probably in the movies itself like I'm just going to tell an important story and then I'm going to tell a goofy story and then I'm going to tell just some other well done fictional work and uh, it just is like it's a business, so let's not get caught up and let's not answer all these loaded questions that <laughs> are just for ratings versus mm-hmm. actual substance. <laughs> um, so, where can we find uh, you on the interwebs, Galaxy of Film? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, well, you, of course, like I said, I do have my own podcast, Galaxy of Film. Um, we're on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, all the above. Uh, most podcast platforms we have a twitter and instagram both at galaxy of film um i also have two co-hosts on that but if you're interested in following just me personally um my instagram and twitter is at max the suit guy Woo! <laughs> yeah we, we do weekly uploads every thursday matter of fact after when i'm recording this i'm recording a new episode of the show <laughs> shit yeah Right. Yeah, thanks for um, thanks for having me on, man. I've been looking forward to this for the past couple of weeks. It's been a great time. Uh, likewise, you know, and it, it, it's just it's a helper because, uh, you know, I just find I got to just get you know any podcasters who I'm following and seeing a lot of their posts is like I got to just invite invite them up front instead of going to the podcast connect type of sites where it's like yeah I, I had so many people pull out before like even months in advance. It's like seriously. Mm. You said in your bio, I want to be on more podcasts. I'm like, I gave you the world. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do it again sometime, man. Maybe you can come on, pop on Galaxy Film. Absolutely. I'm I'm very chill. I don't <laughs> conjure up <laughs> arguments last I checked. So. Yeah, we'll work some now. Like I said, it's been a great time, and I've really enjoyed it. Likewise. It just was very extravagant. And again, this is kind of the whole point. Everyone wants to talk endlessly about stuff that bugs them. Here we pretty much just talk about people who are just charming and who we just like. Like, I was asked a loaded question when we were recording Danny Trejo yesterday. Is like, where does he rank as an actor? Is like, he's just a very charismatic dude who's been in everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is all all you need. It's like I don't. I, I kind of find the point moot on should he be a deep actor when that was kind of never the intention to begin with, mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind of in small doses. So it's just like. 
He's Danny Trejo. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Margot Robbie is like, she's Margot Robbie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very true, very true. You're not going to see if she's going to be kind of over the top or uh, weird or naked. She's just, you're actually well, just kind of digging her persona and she's been very funny and dramatic and it's like, yeah, okay. And with Harley Quinn, she's been a badass, so yeah, I'd like to see her in a regular kind of crime or action revenge movie. <laughs> yeah, truly. I agree, I agree. Um, I could see her doing some Lord of the Rings kind of fantasy franchise, maybe some sci-fi movie that's a little deeper than Z for Zachariah, but similar. <laughs> At some point, I know like Natalie Portman just dived into that, that hole. Oh, there you go. She could star opposite. Yeah, Star Wars Queen... Natalie Portman just be in some kind of weird kind of cyberpunkish Blade Runner kind of movie. There you go. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I'd love to see that, you know. <laughs> Why do we have to write for Hollywood? Damn it. Let's write money. <laughs> oh. Well, thanks again for, for having me on, man. It's been very enjoyable. Absolutely. It was a blast. I'm sorry our connection broke up a little bit there, but that's life. That's <laughs> all good. <laughs> all right. Godspeed to you. And I'm going to check out more of the Galaxy of Film podcast episodes. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks, man, and uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. All right. Uh, Keep kicking ass on the wild side. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new podcast cure-all, sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, Dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag, and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, all we know we like to do, we like to tell stories, please. Yeah, yes. I am the master storyteller yes. of the podcast realm. 
undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers, yes, the Google Play, yes, Apple Podcasts, what else? Podbean, what else? Podcast Addict, goddamn, all that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere, worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah, we gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Like, good fun stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> you. <laughs> no, don't, don't run the listeners away, Pete. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this one. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, 
often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love your movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one-last plot holes a gratuitous boobies. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy. At eilfm.podbean.com. Welcome to Who Was She podcast. I'm your host, Tara Jabari. After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. Who Was She will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others, connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast? Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author, Wendy Heller, and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zeminoff, Daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zeminoff. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs. There's original music by Harmony Constant. Two podcasts. One is the MacGyver podcast, where we celebrate Richard Dean Anderson, 
his iconic roles, and how it's influenced our lives. There's episode discussions, interviews, and life conversations. The second podcast is the Never Gets Old podcast, where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life, from TV, movies, music, and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series, an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well, then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room, where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them at vdclinicpod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. We now continue with our program. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a